Welcome to Predator Radio, your exclusive podcast channel for everything predator hunting related. Hello and welcome to another episode of Predator Radio, sponsored by Predator Precision. So today we have John Alden with us, and John is going to be explaining um, basically how he got to where he is today. He's a well-known predator hunter, sponsored by Fox Pro. Um, nationally known PRS shooter, and I think has a lot to give in um, all areas of predator hunting. We're also going to be doing a uh, kind of parallel episode uh, that'll be released a few days after this podcast drops on uh, specifically on shooting. So be sure and watch for that as well. So John, are you with us? Yes, sir, Jeff. Pleasure to be here, man. I, I appreciate the opportunity and and everything to be on the show with you and talk to all the awesome fellow predator hunters there there is in this great country. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy, and we've tried to squeeze this in a couple times and uh, had to mesh up schedules. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. So first, not of all, a problem for, for the people that that may not know your name. Can can you kind of explain how you how you got to where you are, um, where you come from, that type of thing? Yes, sir. Not a problem. Uh, well, I mean, I guess I'll just start from, you know, how I got into predator hunting. Um, growing up, I, I always hunted with my uncle. My dad's not exactly a hunter. He's more of a fisherman. And my uncle uh, got me into hunting when I was about four years old. And um, through the years, I did everything from duck hunting and goose hunting and obviously deer hunting and turkey hunting and stuff with him and um we'll go to the mountains on the weekends in the summertime and chase groundhogs at long range shooting groundhogs out to a thousand yards oh cool and uh you know i was sitting in my deer stand when i was about i say I, I, this is back around probably 2005 uh here in north carolina i live about 45 minutes outside of uh, downtown charlotte and in 2005 about the first time coyotes really started getting into my area migrating in and uh, being the state that north carolina is we have some crazy predator hunting laws uh in regards to gray foxes and red foxes because growing up there was tons of great boxes where I was at, but you're not allowed to use a electronic game call um, and different things of that nature on them. It, it's, it's really deep compared to most states on foxes, and a lot of that's due to, uh, due to the fox hunters that run on horses and everything in the eastern mm-hmm. part of the state. Um, uh, they have a lot of political control when it comes to foxes, so Never really got to fox hunt very much. Did it a few times uh, up in Virginia when I was younger, and it was always a blast because those grays, man, you put on some gray fox pup distress or whatever, and I could be wearing an orange T-shirt, and those suckers (laughs) would run over top of me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a rifle is the last thing I would ever use if I was fox hunting. It would just be a shotgun. Um, But anyhow, I... um, in 2005, I was sitting in my deer stand, and I just shot uh, two deer, which is the limit in North Carolina, and one day dropped both of them with my 270 at 300 yards. And I grew up on about 18 acres that backed up to a gas line and to a major um, high line, power line. And so I had access to a lot of land. And... I was sitting in my box stand and just shot those two deer and all of a sudden here comes the first coyote that I've ever saw in my life with my actual eyes, not on TV. And they had, yeah, I mean, they had intrigued me a lot because I would hear them holler sometimes howling and everything at night. Uh, but I'd never saw one and I hadn't tried calling them. And so Here's the coyote at 75 yards, 
I got coyote fever and straight up missed that coyote at 75 <laughs> yards right after I just killed the two deer at 300. And from that moment, Jeff, I just, I kind of made up my mind. You're hooked. I'm going to do what it takes. I, I mean, I'm hooked. Exactly. I, I'm definitely hooked and I'm going to do what it takes to learn what I have to learn to, to outsmart this creature. And so from there, I started reading books and, um, and uh, probably the two biggest sources at the time. Now, bear in mind, this is back in 2005. There, you know, I didn't like, there wasn't even such thing as a smartphone at this time. Um, and there were, um, iPods. I had to think of it. Yep. The Apple iPod. I remember that. And yes, sir. I, I got me an iPod and I found the predator hunting podcast by, um, Brian, uh, with Fox pro. He's a field staff guy, uh, with Fox pro and, um, his podcast, he, he always, I mean, he would, he was associated with Fox pro, but he would interview, you know, didn't matter what company you were associated with. He brought on some of the best predator hunters there are in America. Randy Anderson. I mean, he had Abner and Mike and Big Al. He had all those guys on there too. And every single one of them would give their, their special, you know, secrets. And I learned a lot from that podcast, just like a lot of people are learning from your podcast. The next biggest place that I went was, uh, the predator master forms nowadays with with facebook and social media you know the majority of the talking are on different groups on facebook but back then facebook really wasn't a thing and so the it was um, predator master forms yeah yes sir yeah. yes sir it was message boards and you know getting on there and and i, I would more or less read i didn't talk or ask questions much i kind of stayed somewhat inactive uh but i read a bunch and when you read on those things just like on facebook nowadays eventually you can kind of learn somebody's characteristics and their personality by by how they they write and what they put out there and uh, I, I slowly picked up on learning from which guys were 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 the guys to follow and which ones weren't and I learned a lot there, and uh, from there, man, I, I I had me an old Johnny Stewart tape player call. <laughs> Still have it to this day. <laughs> Love it. Um, I, I thought outside the box. I mean, at this time in life, I really wanted to get me a Fox Pro because they were the they were supposed to be the the best thing since sliced bread for predator hunting. But I, I definitely couldn't afford one. Uh, when I was younger like that. And so I used my Johnny Stewart. I had it for crow hunting. I, I liked to crow hunt. I would go on the power lines and call crows with the Johnny Stewart. Well, anyhow, I, I thought outside the box and I used my computer and I downloaded some free sounds that I'd found uh, on the internet back then. And this is back in the day of Napster and <laughs> right. uh lime wire or whatever yeah. it was and believe it or not back then you could find predator sounds on those sites and so i found them and then i dug in and i learned how to kind of create some some custom uh stands will you say yeah where they were like 30 minutes long and i just thought outside the box and i used my ipod that i had for music and i created some mp3 files where they were predator hunting stands and then i just went to walmart and bought me one of those old cassette tapes to have the cord coming out that you can plug into the auxiliary on an ipod yeah and that's how i started trying to call some coyotes well when i first started messing with it i realized you know man i, I know the coyotes are here um but they're not exposing themselves and uh, I wasn't hunting really big size fields at the time I was hunting maybe like a four acre field mm-hmm. 
but I knew they were there. There was even times where I had them housed, but they wouldn't expose themselves. And I finally kind of learned through trial and error, definitely uh, this is the entire process where I learned how to play the wind right as well and, and you know, try to always walk in with the wind in my face. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually prefer to hunt stands when possible, uh, actually playing a crosswind as long as I know that the coyotes are coming from, they're, they're located when I start calling on the other side of the crosswind. Right. That's how I prefer to hunt. But um, I learned using that iPod and everything that I was getting circled. I was getting winded. Even if I played the wind right, they were staying inside the woods and circling me because I was um, I was restricted to being within that cord distance. Oh. And so I went back to the drawing board and... I said, like, I, I thought about it pretty hard, and I, I was just like, you know, if I go back into these sounds, maybe if I throw in a three-minute silent period at the very beginning, and then I set my Johnny Stewart down with the iPod, and I hit play, that gives me three minutes to get away from the call <laughs> and yes, get somewhere else before it starts. And so that's what I did, and the... First time I did that, I'd just come off, it was lunchtime, and it was uh, in December or January, because I'd just come off Lake Norman from duck hunting with uh, one of my good buddies, and uh, he's, his name's Jesse, he's uh, one of my main uh, coyote hunting partners to this day, and me and him came off the lake from duck hunting, and we went out in the power lines behind my house at lunchtime. I took my 223, and he just had his deer hunting 270. Had the three-minute break in the beginning, went back, got set up, and I'll be danged if within 10 minutes we didn't have four coyotes right on top of the call 100 yards away from us, and we managed to kill three of them. And, I mean, I was really, really hooked after yeah. I experienced that stand right there. Well, shoot, you, and, you cracked the code. <laughs> yes, sir. And, and from there, I, I kept daytime hunting because North Carolina was still only a daytime hunting state. Didn't allow nighttime hunting because they're worried too much about all the deer poachers. Right. And all through college, I continued learning and trying to learn from mistakes. I went to college at Western Carolina University, which is in the western part of North Carolina. And North Carolina has a broad range of of mountain scenery. And it just so happens around Western, it's pretty thick trees. There's not a tremendous amount of fields. Um, But there are a few. And when I wasn't studying, I would get out and about and i would knock on farmers doors that had some fields and i would pick up farms around college and on my free time in the evenings after college i would go out and do my best to to kill a coyote and spending four years in college up there i daytime hunting i probably only killed two coyotes but every coyote i killed was just such a a major reward and later on in life it was probably around 2011 i just recently graduated college and one of my lifelong hunting buddies uh his name's jimmy he called me up and invited me to go up to virginia coyote hunting with him at night time and so, jumped in the truck and went to Virginia with Jimmy. And Jimmy had uh, Generation 3 night vision. He had a, a Raptor night vision scope. And thermal was just, uh, I mean, it's just, it blows my mind to this day how far the thermal world has come in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Um, Jimmy had a, a, recon a force recon um maybe recon x 
or no recon x is a trail camera but it was a recon military thermal unit which was like a 320 core but it was just still out of this world cool and i went with him up there and uh watched him kill two coyotes at night and i mean i loved it i was hooked on it but obviously i didn't have land in virginia um I didn't have land in Virginia and, and it was legal in Virginia, but not legal here in North Carolina. Um, meanwhile, on the side through all this, I got into coyote hunting so much in college that, uh, pretty much after that stand where I killed a triple, uh, with my buddy after duck hunting, I was so hooked that I saved up and I bought me a, uh, a Fox pro. Um, at the time it was the, Fox Pro, not, it was the Fury, the Fox Pro Fury, because now they have the Fusion, and I bought a Fox Pro Fury and killed a lot of dogs with that, and um, I just kept kept coyote hunting on, on my spare time, daytime hunting, and it was just a way to get out and enjoy Mother Nature and God's creations, and and I liked coyote hunting way more than deer hunting or any other type of hunting I'd previously done because it was just, it was more fast paced and coyote hunting pretty much turned me off deer hunting because now it's really hard for me to make myself sit in a deer stand for four hours because, you know, coyote hunting, you're running and gunning and moving. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people, I don't, I don't hunt anything except coyotes. And a lot of people ask, like, it's kind of weird that you hunt coyotes five nights a week, but you don't hunt anything else and don't come from a hunting background. But, and I'll be the first one to admit, I don't have a whole lot of patience, but I think with coyote hunting, you're, I feel like I'm in control of what's happening. Like I'm responsible for calling the predator to me where with deer, absolutely with deer hunting, you're at the animal's mercy and you don't have a whole lot of control. I mean, don't you think that has something to do with it as far as the pace of the hunting is, at least with predator hunting, you're in control of, you know, how fast things happen on the stand for the most part by what plow- sounds you're playing, and don't you think? Oh, man, you hit the nail on the head right there because coyote hunting, I guess, in the words of Les Johnson, Les Johnson puts on some some you know, awesome uh, live feed during the week a lot of the times in the mornings when he's drinking his coffee. And I remember a good while back, he uh, just relates to everyday life and and things that are going on in this country. And and he, he always kind of relates it back to coyote hunting. And Les hit the nail on the head just like you did because when, you're, when we're coyote hunting, essentially – we are manipulating a a coyote and outsmarting him on coming in. And by far in North Carolina, the coyote is uh, is definitely the smartest animal there is to outsmart. I mean, I definitely tip my hat to a bunch of deer hunters that can take down a trophy whitetail buck because there's definitely a lot of time and effort that goes into to them patterning that certain deer and and figuring it out where they can get a shot on him at the right time. But still, the flip side to it is, I mean, he they, they do outsmart that deer by doing that, but it's not the, it's not the same game as coyote hunting, fast-paced, outsmarting, right. and, and calling them into your territory in your set amount of time. Right. And... And gaining that, man. and gaining that experience too, I think means a lot. You know, guys that have fresh dirt have much better luck than guys that are calling on educated dogs or calling on, you know, worked dirt. But don't you think, like you mentioned, you spent what four years in college and got a few dogs during that time? Don't you think that made you a better hunter than showing up on fresh dirt and they come running in at you? at the first sound yeah I, I do for sure and you know the good lord makes things possible in life and you know 
I got into coyote hunting when coyotes were just coming into North Carolina. So the flip side to it, because we're going to obviously get into talking about night vision and thermal and putting down a good many dogs and this or that. But, you know, what I want the listeners to also absorb on this podcast is the fact that this was over 10 years ago in North Carolina. And, and when you go back then, the population of dogs was was far, far lower than what it is now. And the main reason I feel like that is a key point is because I want, I want guys to understand that you can get out there and you can still do good calling coyotes during the daytime. Like I feel like it's the population. It was what it is now back then when I was in college, I probably could have killed more dogs, but right. the population was still growing at that point. And, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that was a roundabout answer on answering your question there, but yeah. And, and I just think people need to, of course, this podcast is geared towards newer hunters getting into predator hunting and specifically nighttime hunting. And I think a lot of newer guys get discouraged. <laughs> so when when I started, and I'm, I'm sure listeners have heard on previous podcasts, when I got started, I had no clue what I was doing. I got started because a local farmer who raised turkeys was having trouble and said, you're a police officer, you know, you have the equipment to you know, shoot from a distance. Can you thin the coyotes out of my turkey fields? And I, I didn't have any luck and it wasn't cause there wasn't coyotes there. And I, and I was lucky enough to have, um, a, a guy named Jimmy Rowe with pitch black precision. He was, took me under his wing and for about six or eight months, every time he hunted, I went with him and greatly sped up the learning curve. And at the end of that time, you know, a year into it, I'm able to go out on my own and, and get a dog almost every night. And I feel like he greatly sped up that learning curve because I didn't have access to other material. Um, but my point with that was, is I was getting fairly discouraged because I'm going out every night and coming home empty handed. And there's so many variables in it with how educated are the dogs, time of year, all that stuff that you you're right. I think you have to have somewhat of a reasonable expectation of, um, you know, numbers and that type of thing and learning to manipulate their behavior. I, I was lucky enough to, I'm a dog trainer by trade and a canine cop of 24 years. So I've got domestic dogs, police dogs, Awesome. you know, yeah. I've got that figured out. And really these coyotes, that gives you that, that should give you a, a great upper hand on just knowing how the species works. Yeah, and it does really help because, you know, for, for you know, getting busted by a coyote, I've been training dogs to find people for 20 years, whether it's criminal apprehension or search and rescue or whatever. So I know how far out a dog can smell a human, that type of thing. And all you do is flip the tables around. But I, I, I wasn't able to put all that together at the beginning because I didn't. And I thought you just go out and they come running into the call and you shoot them. I had no idea of what I have. I had no idea that good hunters go weeks without putting a dog in their truck. So I think that's something, right? Like you said, I got something to, that's uh, um, important to understand. It's like right now, I'm in Ohio. Right now is our slow time. Crops are just getting ready to start coming off, so it's really going to pick up. But for the past two or three months, man, there's there's many nights I come home empty-handed more than I come home with something in the truck. May, June, July, even into August, beginning of September, because all I've got is pastures and, and hay fields. So I didn't mean to get excited. Absolutely. No, you're not. But I mean, you're absolutely right. Even when, you know, I hunt around here now, uh, I kind of I got into it at a golden time. And I was a few steps ahead of a lot of other guys because because uh, in my area just because I was attracted to the sport before the sport became popular right and and coyote hunting just became my passion in life um just so you know since this is geared for nighttime hunting and everything for the main part I, I'll explain how I got into nighttime hunting so 
I went with my buddy Jimmy and watched him kill two dogs, and that was just amazing watching a coyote at nighttime instead of cautionly staying at the edge of the woods and slowly coming out like I had experienced daytime. I watched one come across a a 500 yard field just beeline and for his call at night, and I'm just like, man, this is just completely different. This is a game changer. And I asked him, you know, what's the setup cost? And bear in mind, this is back around 2010. He's like, uh, that scope cost me around eight thousand dollars, and <laughs> that thermal, that thermal is uh, bear in mind, this is a 320 unit. That thermal was 14 grand. And I was just like, wow, like that's just out of this world. And and it still wasn't legal to hunt here in North Carolina at night. But I'd I'd read about so many people using lights in Texas and using lights in other places. I really wanted to be able to try out lights. And back in 2011, I believe it was 2011. It's hard for me to get the year straight, but sometime around 2011. It came up on the um, North Carolina Wildlife Board meetings about where they were considering uh, allowing nighttime coyote hunting. And so, you know, I tried to voice to everybody I knew that was interested in coyote hunting. And, and there wasn't a tremendous amount of people back then like, look, it's important to go to these public hearings. Right. And... I went to public hearings. I went to three different ones all around the western part of North Carolina. I drove two and a half hours to one of the public hearings, and the wildlife representatives were probably tired of seeing me, but I felt like I was one of the only hunters that would show up to these meetings to voice opinion. Um, It was mostly farmers. Farmers were showing up and talking about losing livestock, saying, y'all need to do something about this and allow hunters to hunt these these coyotes at night because they're killing my calves and and something needs to be done and um you know it just goes to show too politics to the side a lot of things in life start locally guys you know you can make a difference just locally and then and and then work your way out from that and uh by the grace of God, it got passed, and nighttime hunting was allowed. And when when my buddy Jimmy told me how much that stuff cost, I was just blown out of the water. Well, there's no way that I'll ever spend that kind of money. Like, no way possible. Well, it got passed, and I started hunting with some lights. Uh, killed a few dogs with lights, but... Um, I was fooled because I'd looked through night vision and thermal right there on that hunt with Jimmy the prior year. And I sat down and I thought about it pretty hard. And I made up my mind that I was going to buy me a setup. And so I saved up and I bought me a D760 Generation 3 night vision scope, just the scope. And I went out and I tried coyote hunting about two nights with just that scope and never killed a dog with just that scope. Heard some, but never never got a chance to take a shot. But uh, I saw the key ingredient of having a thermal for spotting. And so, I kid you not, uh, I, I was banging my head against the wall because I just bought the night vision scope, but... And I paid cash for that, but I thought about it like a bass fisherman, and I'm like, you know, John, this is no different than than a bass fisherman loving fishing so much that they go and finance some uh, bass fishing boat or a duck hunter that goes and buys a duck hunting boat because they have that much drive and passion for that sport. No different. And so I made my mind up. I went to the bank, got a loan the next day. And I bought me a thermal monocular for scanning. And after I bought that thermal monocular for scanning, my numbers just went through the roof on the amount of dogs I was putting on the ground. I I mean, the population was still lesser then than it is now. But, I mean, on a good night back then, I would kill three or four coyotes. And... 
I mean, I was just completely, I'm still to this day astounded with a three or four dog coyote night for sure. I'm happy with one coyote for the night. And it's just like you say, there's a bunch of nights where I've gone out and spent six hours hunting and, and the coyote wins the battle. He outsmarts <laughs> me. I, I didn't outsmart yeah. him. Yep. Um, but it was a game changer because they just, the way they react and, and they come in at night, it's completely different. And, um, I've never had the opportunity to hunt out West. It's definitely high on my list. I want to go do some coyote hunting out West, uh, because I just, I feel, I'm not going to say that it's easier out there, uh, but it's, it's just a different game out there because you can see them coming from a long ways away during, during the daytime. Right. And here where I grew up and I live, I mean, where I live in 30 minutes around me, I mean, there's three or four fields that are bigger than 30 acre fields. Uh, the average field I hunt is probably around a 10 acre field. And, and they're, they're so much more comfortable coming out to the middle of that field at night versus daytime. And, and because the fields are so small, it gives the coyote a lot of time to ease his way in and feel his way around and, and see if things are, are stacking up in his favor or whether something's not right. right. And, you know, night hunting just breaks the ice on that a lot more. They'll, they'll come on in, which the average big-time hunter knows that. But uh, I guess the biggest piece of advice I could give people is if you're if you are hooked on predator hunting like you are, Jeff, or or like I am, don't be afraid to go take out a loan to buy you some good night vision gear because it's equivalent to the bass fisherman buying a bass boat. And I always say that when I do seminars um, for bass pro shops or whatever about predator hunting, I ask uh, the crowd, whoever says, how many bass fishermen we got in here? You know, half the people will hold their hand. I'm like, how many of y'all own a boat because you like fishing so much? And then a bunch of hands will go down, but usually there's still four hands up or something. Like, okay, right there, guys. You love that sport so much. You love bass fishing. You bought that boat. Well, it's no different for predator hunting. You just got to decide if you are either rich and it's nothing for you, but if you struggle like, like I did, you got to decipher whether this sport means that much to you. And if it does, then definitely make the investment and, and get a good thermal and uh, a good night vision. Yeah. And that's what I tell people when, cause you know, the first thing I'll do when I show up somewhere and, and somebody says, well, can I see your gear? And I, I, I carry a, a bolt gun with a halo LR on it. And then I have a backup, uh little, AR I carry um, with a Trigicon on it that I'm getting ready to switch out, but it has a Trigicon Mark III on it. And when I start saying what those things cost, you know, people get kind of discouraged. And then you let them look through it, and all of a sudden they're like, you know what, this has kind of captured my interest. I'm, you know, this this might be doable. What I tell people though is that, that I think the two most important things are is you have to learn how to call, and you have to have equipment that you can see. So like. My, I'm big on sayings, trying to remember things like analogies, is you can't shoot at what's not there. So, you know, mm-hmm. some people get discouraged, and you, you may just be on dirt that there's not coyotes present, or you're simply not calling them in. So you can't shoot at what's not there, and you can't shoot at what you can't see. And I know when, when I started, you know, I, I started with digital night vision with one, those little, you know, little ATM. Pulsar. Yeah, well, I started with an ATM. Okay, yeah. And, uh. Right. I, I think that was even worse. Um, and I, I couldn't see very far. You know what I mean? Like, and Jimmy, who was teaching me to, to hunt, you know, he's running a, you know, a Gen 3 Simrad system and he can see it clear as day. So, you know, it's one of those things of if you can't see what's out there, you, you, you can't see what's shoot at. And of course, if they're not there. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's. And, the, you know, the, the stands. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I try not to get too discouraged when I go to farm and 
and come out empty-handed uh, for sure. But where I definitely do leave discouraged, set aside from calling one in and missing it, where I do get discouraged is if I'm hunting a farm and the coyotes howl or whatever, and, and I know they're there, but they outsmart me and and I don't get a shot on them. And I leave discouraged, but I also try to leave, you know, thinking outside the box and, okay, why why did that happen just now? Why did those dogs stay locked up in the southwest end of the field when, I mean, I had the wind coming from the west. Like, there was no way that they could have smelled me. Um, I just, I try to go away learning something from it. But... Excuse me, but don't you think that's why you're probably at the skill level you are is because you've had those stands that you've had to plan A didn't work, plan B didn't work, and you had to go to you had to create plan C. Yes, sir, in a way, and and you know, as far as um, where I'm at or whatever, you know, look, you know. I'm fortunate to be associated with an awesome company like Fox Pro and, and some of the other companies that I, I deal with, but guys, you know, I'm not a professional. I, I mean, I just enjoy coyote hunting and, and following my passion in life. I actually haven't had much time to dedicate towards predator hunting here for good say the past year. Uh, just had so much going on, bought a farm and everything, but you know, also to new hunters and stuff don't don't get discouraged about hunting with against if you're in a competition or whatever hunting against some other big name you know just get out there and have a good time i mean as far as i'm concerned anybody out there can can bring in just as many dogs as i can and you know I guess the best way I put it, I'm not a professional at anything in life until I make a living and get paid for doing it. <laughs> and, yeah. and unfortunately, you know, I've, I've looked down quite a few hallways and opened quite a few doors and tried to figure out how I could possibly make coyote hunting turn into a living. And it's, you know, it's, it's just not there. It, it um, just gets more expensive, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. It, it definitely does. But, it's worth it. I, I love it. I mean, I'm constantly trying to stay up on gear and and the new things that are coming out and looking at the advantages or disadvantages to it. And it's just, uh, it's a really wild industry. Um, so I guess from there, let's, let's talk about calling a little bit and Absolutely. my experiences. So, when I first got into coyote hunting, daytime and nighttime, I mean, just about anything would, if they were there and I played the wind right, it was bringing them in. Whether I played, you know, baby cottontail in distress or porcupine in distress, even though there's not even porcupines around here in North right. Carolina, um, it would bring them coming in. The distress sounds well. And, and right now, this time of year, um, you know, we're we're in the time of year where the the alpha female, the mom and stuff, she she just ran the pack off. She ran all her pups off here in the past two months, and so you got a lot of young dogs that they'll they'll come in a lot more to your average distress sound and. Pretty much didn't matter the time of year. When I first got into it, I was killing them with distress sound. And then there came a point in time where coyote hunting was getting so popular that I definitely noticed the amount of dogs that I was killing declining. And I was always intimidated about using vocals because I just, I didn't know exactly, you know, I can't read their language. 
But over time, I, I start I started to pick up on, you know, listening to those stands where they were howling. I knew they were there, but I didn't kill one. And listening to those distinct barks and and vocals that that I just kind of started to associate my mind. Well, I think that was a uh, you know that was a sound that that the coyotes are, are doing when they sense threat out there. So they knew I was there. The wind was right and everything, but somehow or another they picked up on I was in that field and something went right. Or it could be the fact that I was using the ever so popular, you know, uh, cottontail candy distress sound. And, <laughs> and everybody else those dogs, exactly, and those dogs knew that. Yeah, they they associated that sound with danger. So, um, I got into using vocals a lot more, and and when I got into using vocals a lot more, I mean, I just I fell in love with it, and to this day, I rarely use distress sounds, no matter what time of year it is, unless I'm hunting in an area where. I know that these dogs don't hardly ever get called like and and that's hard that's that's hard for me to to get where I live in this part of the country because I live in a pretty highly populated area because I'm in the suburbs of Charlotte and because of that um I find myself around a a class of people that can afford um, thermal and night vision more so than if I live in the eastern part of North Carolina where there's not very many good paying jobs unless you're a big farmer or, or whatever. Um, and so when you get to certain areas like the eastern part of North Carolina, those dogs, they might be called during the daytime a fair amount or whatever, but they they don't they don't receive the pressure that right. dogs around here do and um you know that's one of the big things uh, i i drug that out pretty pretty heavy well, no, but, but i understand what you're saying and and i think something else that people need to consider is like when you talk about pressure and and drawing a dog through pressure <clears throat> And I was the same way. I was always reluctant to use vocals, too, because I didn't know what vocal to use. Um, and I was afraid of using the wrong thing and screwing it up. But somebody explained it to me. I don't even remember who it was. I wish I could remember to give him credit. But <clears throat> somebody explained it to me as, you know, you're throwing out food. You know, how fast do you walk to the dinner table? Like, you'll get there, but you're not in a big hurry. Versus fight sounds. Somebody's fighting in your backyard. You're going to run out there. Well, and I think in pressured areas, I personally, I don't know if it's right or not, in more pressured areas, I try to bring the dog in faster. And when I say faster, I mean charging in. I use a more aggressive sound because I want them a little more careless, um, paying attention a little less. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Because yeah. my favorite time of the year is, I'm sorry, you go ahead. I was interrupting. No, no, you're all right. Go ahead. My favorite time of the year to coyote hunt, like right now, I've seen on social media where there's a lot of a lot of predator hunters. We'll just leave it at that. Good, average, whatever. There's a lot of dogs getting killed right now. And again, that goes back to the time of the year. There's a lot of young, uneducated dogs. Yep, dumb pups, that, is what we call them. <laughs> yeah, they're the dumb pups. This is the time of the year to to wear them out go hit that fresh cut hay field and and wear them out um the more i got into coyote hunting over the years i know that i can kill a bunch this time of year but i'm self-employed i work for myself and i work late hours a lot of the times but also i got i started getting into the competition hunting side of things and it's like well i don't want to wear my dirt out right now i don't want to to 
to wear them out. I'd rather save them until the competition season right after deer season goes out. So the end of December is when deer season goes out here in January. And the vocals, man, it, it, it's just the secret during mating season. January and February is mating season here usually. And, and you know, I tell people in the seminar, I'm like, it's very, it's, it's hard to make yourself start using vocals the first time, but ease your way into it and start off by using non-aggressive vocals. Go out yeah. there and do a female long howl and, what you're doing is you're acting like a female looking for a mate. And I tell people, I'm like, if the coyotes are in the area and you've played your wind right and and you've gone into the stand unnoticed and they are there, one of two things is going to happen. Well, really, theoretically, one of, of three things will happen. Um, either they're not there or they are there and everything's going to stay dead silent you won't hear nothing, but next thing you know, you got one or two males charging across the field, coming in as fast as they can to get them a piece. Yep. Or you end up getting the alpha female ticked off, and she starts challenge barking you and challenge howling at you and raising cane, and then that's where I go in to, to, to um, you know, challenging her back. And uh, a big key on that, which a lot of guys that I've talked to don't seem to, to think about it, but there's a fair amount that do too. But one of the big things is those coyotes, they'll pick up. It, it, it's a godsend that we're allowed to have remote control calls that we can put out there 150 yards right now. Right. But to really trick those educated alpha males and alpha females movement is key a lot of the time that call needs to move around some because if it stays in one centered location those coyotes they pick up on it especially if you're in a long drawn out battle challenging back and forth and you know somebody's got to give if i'm challenging a female that's hung up a couple hundred yards in the corner of a field and I just stay in one spot and she stays in one spot, then, <laughs> you know, she's, yeah. yeah, she's just sitting there thinking in her mind, okay, well, you're acting like you're going to come fight me, but evidently you don't have the guts to come fight me. Right. And a lot of the times the key to killing that dog is, you know, play the wind, you know where she's at, barking back at you, get the call, Pick up move in closer. Pick up and move. Move in closer. Create that little bit of movement to show you're not scared. And that right there is the, the ticket to, to kill the really smart ones a lot of the times. And it just goes back to the time of the year. My favorite time of the year is mating season because I just, uh, I mean, whether I have a successful stand or I move in on that female, that alpha female, and she ends up getting scared and goes the opposite direction or whatever it's it's a fun time of the year man yep that's what <clears throat> when i started like i said a guy uh jimmy Rowe, took me out and it, it was it's funny you know he had a, he had a sequence he would run but <clears throat> the old then the, the go-to was that was when den raid first came out yeah i remember He'd, he'd play Den Raid, and he'd have two or three up running in, and he'd say, all right, I'll take one right, you take one left. And, he, of course, he'd get his, and I'd miss mine because I, I was just getting started. And I remember thinking to myself, like, damn it, can't you, like, make these things stop, or can't you play some soft music or something to control how they come in? And you know, it, But now, looking back, knowing what I know now, I understand why he did it. You know, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a somewhat pressured area dealing with somewhat – uh, suspicious coyotes that we wanted them to blast in and, and not have much regard for their environment. But um, it, it's kind of funny what you realize now, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But what you look uh, man, back when it starts to make sense. Yeah, exactly. I still, man, my second call that I bought 
uh, when Fox Pro released the Shockwave, um, I mean, I pre-ordered that sucker and bought me one. And I was so intrigued and pumped about the feature Fox Motion. And, and at the time, I didn't know it. But, I mean, the main thing I was intrigued about was Fox Motion because it lowers the volume on one speaker, rotates to the other, and creates a little bit of a movement going on there. Right, and definitely credit that feature to a lot of kills when it first came out because it, it just outsmarted a lot of smart dogs that were trained. Um, the other big thing was fox bang on there. Um, I don't, I don't notice it much as much now as I did back, back then but when that came out for the first two years i can easily easily i mean give the credit to fox bang on probably i would say a total of an extra 30 dogs that i've killed from having a pair come in and i'm hunting by myself and i shoot the first one and the other one takes off running where before it would hit the woods and i was flinging shots at it to fox bang going off and automatically going to a pup in distress sound or whatever and just literally that second dog would run 10 feet while, while the partner just dropped on the ground and turned around and come back towards the call again yep. and um, it's just it's, it's crazy but the creatures we're hunting man no matter what features come out uh, features features always help put more dogs on the ground um, but you, you got to think one step ahead because they always end up learning it and getting smart with it. And so over the years, one of the things that I, I started doing was, uh, I never would hunt a spot more than once every three weeks, whether I killed a coyote there, saw one, or it was a dead stand and nothing held. I never wanted to take a chance on educating the dogs there. So the the bare minimum is hunting a farm once every three weeks. And when I would come off of the farm, I would make a mental note. I'd actually carry a notepad, and I would write down um, what sounds I used on that stand, whether I killed one or not. And when I went back the next time, I would always make sure that I'm using completely different sounds than the last time. So in essence, in, in a frequency, there was a bare minimum of every six weeks that a coyote could hear one specific sound. Right. That's... And then as the sport, as the sport grew, it, it got a lot harder to, um, to maintain that because the sport grew and more and more people have gotten into it. And, you know, nowadays, I try to stay really tight with my farmers as tight as I can, but what's to say that that Joe wasn't in here two hours before I came in at one o'clock in the morning and these dogs were just called two hours prior, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where <clears throat> we have one uh one episode we did a while back on technology and and uh I do on X for my properties and my stands. Yes, sir. And then I use hunt stand um, just for my harvests. So I track all my stocks okay. on one app. Um, and then hunt stand, I, which is a completely separate app, has a harvest section. And I take a picture of everything. Uh, it geotags it. It will automatically carry the weather conditions over, barometric pressure, all that if you want to you know track that stuff and then in the notes section i just put in there what sound i used the, what, awesome. sound, what sound i shot over in case shot they, on yeah yeah that way you know if they if they would have an aversion to it if there would have been a second dog there that i didn't see um of course you know the only educated dog is the one that was there and got away so but sometimes you don't know what's there all the time so i, I record that sound and then like you said i try not to play that for the next few times I go back, but, um, technologies, Perfect. technologies definitely given us some more options, uh, 
to be able to track. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to throw this one into the into the mix with you real quick, just to just to throw it out there. Um, I still remember when Onyx and Hunt Stand uh, were released, and I was just pumped about it. But um, of course. I would imagine you would have dealt with the same situation in Ohio. I don't know for certainty, but, you know, North Carolina is one of the tail ends. You know, the southeast is essentially some of the last, at least in my region where I hunt, where, you know, you got a big track of land if you got got 100 acres around here. I mean, there's just not very many big farms around here. And because of that, there's so many property lines, and it was it was beyond Onyx and Hunt Stand's capabilities to comprehend all that data, all those different property owners and stuff. And of course, as technology advances and servers get bigger, right. now they're able to do it. But back in the day, um, I was really intrigued by that, and I'm like, okay, what can I do to to cross the difference here. What, what can I do to keep track of this? And so I had a notebook that I created, and um, I would get on the Internet and go to the local county GIS mapping software site, mm-hmm. and Anytime I would drive down the road and see a new field or something that just it was screaming coyotes and I wanted to hunt it, the first thing that I would do is I would come back home and I would get on the internet and go to the county GIS and I would print off a a map of that parcel of land, which would also give me the property owner's name and everything. And over time through work, I would stack up, you know, okay, here's eight more farms that I really want to pick up. Man, God, Jim Smith's got a really nice hundred acre bottom field hugging the Catawba river. That's that spot right there looks golden. And then when work allowed, I'd get a rainy day and be rained out. I'd spend my spare time jumping in the truck and going on knocking, going knocking on farmers doors and trying to pick up more land. And I kept a notebook of, of all the property owners that I had, and I would have them sign their GIS map saying that I had permission to hunt this track of land. That way, the game warden checked me or whatever. You know, I'd show him, look, it might not be the actual certificate that you want printed off of North Carolina Wildlife website, but, I mean, here's his signature with the map of his land. I actually try to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. But now with Hunt Stand and Onyx, I mean, it's it's – game changer now if i see a stand a a field that i like okay this is owned by bob bob joe or whatever and go knock on his door so absolutely yep definitely definitely opens up a definitely opens up a bunch of options so well so to kind of wrap up things here um i know i've taken up a bunch of your time and you've thrown out a whole lot of of good information um what what's the advice that you would give a newer person getting into nighttime predator hunting i know you mentioned don't be afraid to to, and and that might be it you know don't be afraid to spend the money on the equipment you need but what's the what's the piece of advice you can give uh, these newer guys that are getting into it um from somebody experienced like yourself in general yeah that's a good question um you know I want to go back to the gear and say, you know, buy once, cry once, <laughs> finance it, do the difference, finance it. But still, at the end of the day, you can go out and if you're a, a brand new coyote hunter and you're wanting to get into it, you can go out and buy the Trigicon Mark III 60 millimeter from Thermal Optics Plus and the tripod setup and the best gun out there, you can buy the top-notch gear and still, you know, not kill dogs. Like, <laughs> Come home empty-handed. Yeah, I'm living for yeah, that. You, <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, I wouldn't say that so much, but you know, you, you gotta you gotta invest the time. It's just like anything in life. The more you put into it, the more you get out. And coyote hunting is is uh, all about learning and trying to be one step ahead of that dog and how much he knows. And you gotta. I guess my biggest advice would be spend the time to learn how to to play the winds right and everything and don't be scared to think outside the box on sounds you know it's this time of year okay i don't know if if somebody else is coyote hunting this farm or not but i have permission to it think outside the box try to use try to use stuff that that they've been less likely inclined to hear and also bear in mind i've had this conversation with a lot of my farmers and i still feel like it goes in one ear and out the other because a lot of the times farmers you know they they it's just built into their heads farmers look at hunting um from a viewpoint of well I hate all those geese that are in my pasture or I hate all those deer that are eating my corn and soybeans. And the more hunters I have, the better off I am. (laughs) Well, farmers think like that. And a lot of the times, you know, a lot of farms that I used to tell a lot of dogs on have declined because the farmers do not say that I'm the only person that can hunt it. But I mean, I know by the way the dogs act that somebody else has been hunting them and that could be you know they move a bunch it could be from another farm next door but uh, irregardless here's the biggest thing and and guys i'm going to be 100 percent straight up about this because it's really really hard to do it's it's making yourself become vulnerable but at this point in time as popular as coyote hunting is getting now is a crucial time to to talk with other guys that you know are predator hunting and coyote hunting at night around you and openly talk about what farms you're hunting and and you know trust comes into the picture a lot because you got to trust people people will come in and stab you in the back and and go hunt a farm that you told them you were hunting that they didn't have permission to, it, it will happen. But overall, it works out better when you network and, and you become friends with the other hunters instead of enemies and and try to sit down and have an open conversation about, look, we both have permission on, on Joe Smith's farm, but let's at least come up with a game plan where we know we're not over-calling these dogs. We both have permission to hunt, and... And I'm still going to hunt it, and I know you're still going to hunt it. But at the least, let's try to come up with a game plan where they don't get overpressured and get too smart on you. Right, and nobody's successful. Exactly. It's best to just openly come out with it and sit down and talk with the other guys that are hunting around you. And I still have a really hard time doing that. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie, but I, I do see where we're at the point in time with thermals and technology and everything that, and so many people getting into it, it, it's a crucial time to sit down and start openly talking with the fellow hunters and, and make this a work together scenario instead of work against each other. Right. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. So John, I really appreciate your time. Um, I know people can follow you on social media um, sponsored by Fox Pro, and I think you've got a, a page on on the Fox Pros website. Um, so a lot of good information. I'm sure you've helped out a bunch of people, and and I really appreciate uh, your time with us today. Yes, sir, Jeff. I appreciate a lot, and uh, also like to give a shout out to Cameron at Thermal Optics Plus. Awesome guy. Absolutely. Always takes good care of anybody I send to him on gear, and then. My good buddy Sean Casey at DNA Firearm Systems. If you're wanting a tack driving AR, 
uh, pick up the phone, give Sean a shout, man. He's got a couple different options for different budgets and, uh, you know, they're more than capable of putting that dog down at 600 yards if you're capable on making the right call for the shot. Absolutely. Yep. Those, and I can vouch for both of those companies. I've, I've worked with Cameron for a long time. Cameron supplies us with a lot of our equipment and you're not going to find anybody, um, that will take the time to walk you through what you need for a purchase. I don't think you'll find anybody like Cameron. I mean, he's, I've sent people to him before that literally call him and have no idea what they're looking for. And he'll spend a half hour, 45 minutes on the phone with them. And he doesn't try to oversell him anything. He's a straight shooter. And as far as customer service, he's one of the best in the business. I've had some of my gear go down. He's offered to send me loaner stuff. Um, as far as customer service, he's the, he's the, uh, top in the business. And I don't know the guys at DNA, but I do know that, uh, I have friends with Jason gross close and runs the Eastern. And I do know that, uh, DNA firearms, uh, does a lot to sponsor that. I think they donate, uh, m- multiple high end guns for towards the prizes. And I think that says a lot about a company that, that dumps that kind of money and, and supporting a tournament. And, uh, they, they have to be good guys too. So I, I said, yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, John, I really appreciate your time. We're going to wrap things up here today and uh, hopefully have you. We're definitely going to have you on another episode here soon. Um, we're going to have a shooting specific uh, with your with your PRS background and everything. Um, we're going to have another episode that should drop right behind this one about a week out. And uh, we're going to pick your brain on some shooting stuff, too. So definitely uh, watch for that, guys. And, John, thanks again for all your time. Yes, sir. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. You're welcome.